And this Remembrance Sunday, we remember those who have fallen in the wars of our nation. It was on the 11th hour of the 11th day of November 1918, the cessation of hostilities of the World War I was to take place. For it was then that the guns on the Western Front were to fall silent after more than four years of continuous warfare. And today, as a single simple token of our gratitude to those who, upon the call of duty, was to leave their homeland and was to go and defend our liberty and our freedom, were to fight against the common enemy, we simply remember them. Countless thousands of them were to pay the ultimate sacrifice. They were to lay down their life in battle so we might have our freedom. Their memory is cherished. Their names are inscribed upon the rules of honor in many of our towns. And we do them a great disservice if we fail to remember their bravery and the sacrifice that they gave. But you know, men and women, young people, as the years have passed by, and of course now there's only few left of those who fought in World War II, Small snippets of information have been extracted from those who have survived the battlefields. We have the unsung heroes who risked life so as to deliver their colleagues who were held as captives of war behind the enemy lines. Many held captives as prisoners of war were to endure the tortures of body and of mind and of soul from the hands of their captors. And their escape from such captivity is impossible to put words into. To this day, the same daring exploits and warfare has often to be carried out so as to deliver our soldiers from the hands of the enemy. Now come to the closing words of chapter 2 of 2 Timothy. And the Apostle Paul is encouraging Timothy, his own son in the faith, and the minister, the young pastor in the church at Ephesus, to minister in such a way as to have the same results. There's wise counsel given here by the aged apostle in verse 23, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strife. He was to avoid foolish questions because they only caused debates and unnecessary quarrels among the saints. The manner in which he was to minister unto the people was by the qualities of meekness, of gentleness, of patience. That was the way in which he was to convey the truth of the gospel to these people who opposed the things of God. For his ultimate aim and his ultimate goal was their recovery. For in the closing verse we're brought to see the state of souls. And what we might say and describe as captives released. I want you to consider first of all here the prisoners of Satan. You see the scriptures make it abundantly clear that man by nature, man by birth is ensnared by sin. The soul in the world believes he is a liberty tonight. He believes he is a freedom to do whatever he likes. And therefore the perception of God's salvation has been uh, tied to a way of life. And losing that liberty that they enjoy so much. 
That's the perception. But how different it is in reality. For the words of Ephesians 2, verse 2, remind us that instead of having liberty and freedom, the sinner walks according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That doesn't speak of liberty. That doesn't speak of freedom, but the very opposite. The sinner is in bondage. He's a prisoner to his master. And the Apostle Paul here in writing to Timothy, he speaks of the sort of prisoner that he is ministering unto. They are in the snare of the devil. And the picture that is portrayed is of the devil being someone who lays the snares so as to imprison the unsuspecting. He's a mastermind behind this action. Maybe some of the young people will not uh, understand anything about snares. They're probably banned these days. But our land, our ground used to uh, march the moss behind us and there would have been those guys who would have laid the snare for the foxes. Unknown to us, of course, in our land. And it was led in such a fashion that it was unsuspecting for the fox to run across that snare so that it might be trapped. And you will know, of course, that the snare denotes subtlety. And so it is when Satan brings out his temptations. He does so with subtlety. He never puts his name to them. And such was the first instance of his temptation. For Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians 11 that the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety. You want to see an instance of it in the New Testament then? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. Consider that time when the Lord spoke to His disciples of having to go to the cross. Matthew chapter 16. I want you to notice the response that Peter gives in verse 22. It says, And Peter took him. That is, after the Lord has showed unto his disciples in verse 21 that he must go to Jerusalem. And there he will be taken by the chief priests and scribes. He'll be killed and he'll be raised again a third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Peter was trying to stop the Lord from going to Calvary. The subtle snare is led. It's a snare of the devil. And that is why the Savior was to reply as he does in the words of verse 23. He turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Peter didn't know he was doing the work of the devil. Another thing about a snare is that therein is found cruelty. And so it is with the great enemy Satan. In God's word he's called by various names and titles. He's a murderer. He's a destroyer. He is a deceiver and the accuser of the brethren. That is the design of Satan for every soul born into this world. It is to destroy them finally in the lost eternity along with his angels. These are the prisoners of Satan. I wonder are you one of them tonight? 
You consider something of the snares that he lays. And there are various ways and means by which he keeps his victims imprisoned and in bondage. There's a snare of the pleasure of sin. The devil is master of making sin pleasant. Hiding its reality. Hiding the consequences of sin. Because Romans 3 tells us that the wages of sin is death. Dear soul, who is a prisoner to Satan, remember this, that the pleasures of sin are but for a season. And you know what happens to seasons. They change, they come, and they go, and they end. And so will that pleasure of sin that you revel in. Another snare that he lays is that he puts doubts into the minds of people as to the truth of God's word. Back in the Garden of Eden, the serpent said to Eve, Yea, hath God said? He's putting a doubt into the mind of Eve. And at the same time, he's misquoting God's word that he did say. And we are in a day in where many seek to put doubt over God's word. The so-called atheist seeks to doubt the accounts of creation and indeed that there is a God. I want to tell you that it has been commonly reported in past conflicts that when the troops come in from the battle lines and they're found in their messes and their camps, there are no atheists there. It doesn't matter what Dawkins and other published authors have said about evolution and uh, atheism and all the rest. Young soldiers, when opportunity affords them, are found to be reading God's Word. Why? Because life is so precious. Death is so real. And at times, eternity is so near. You see, the snare of the devil is to cast doubt over God and over His Word. Another snare that Satan lays is that God is one who is only merciful. All praise his name, God is a merciful God. But you know there's also the justice. And there's also the wrath of a holy God against sin. And a warped evangelicalism is one which never mentions the justice of a holy God. And that is what many preachers are about today. And they've fallen into the snare and their people along with them. If there's no justice, then why? Why was it in God's plan that one day He should send His only begotten Son when the fullness of time was come that He might go to the cross of Calvary for no sin of His own but as the sinner's substitute? If there's no justice of God, why did Christ go to the cross? If there's no wrath of God, why did he endure the sufferings and the pain and the penalty that we should have borne? And leading on from that snare, it brings to another one, and that is the devil places in the mind of the sinner that they have plenty of time to get saved. Something that can be left to the deathbed. Then you can seek repentance. But as we shall see, repentance doesn't always come that easy. And it is a subtle snare to keep the prisoner thinking that at the last moment they can escape. Men and women, these are the snares that you... I want you to consider that the devil lays, but I wonder are they real in your life? 
You see, you'll notice the effect that such snares have on the victim. Our text says this, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. Just to take that word, recover. If you have a marginal Bible, it'll render it like this, to awake. And the thought is that they're sleeping. Or indeed, another picture is that they become sober again after being intoxicated. The idea being that those are prisoners and in bondage to Satan, they are as men in a deep sleep. They are as men as they are intoxicated and therefore unconscious of their extreme danger. That's the state of the victims of this great enemy that that they're in. They're prisoners in a spiritual war who can do nothing for themselves, but they need to be rescued. And if you're not saved tonight, then herein is your state. You're a prisoner still under the control of your master, the devil. But having noticed the prisoners of Satan, thank God we don't stop there and we don't say amen and close the meeting because there is the power of the Savior. How are such unsuspected souls ever to be aroused to their danger? In the wars of our nation, the heroics of men and helping prisoners of war to escape, it's the stuff of resolve. It's the stuff of courage. It's the stuff that some Hollywood directors have made films out of. Whether they're correct or not is another issue because they couldn't fully tell the story. But Paul in this verse speaks of the means by which God uses to deliver souls from the ensnarements of the devil. Although the devil cleverly lures sinners into that sleep, into those greater snares, yet the power of God is greater, for the devil's camp is able to be raided. And the means that God uses can be noted from the previous verse, as you see it there. In the reception of the truth, verse 25, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, if those slumbering and ensnared souls are to be recovered, then the answer lies in bringing the truth before them, the truth of Christ, the great emancipator of men. And that is what Paul is exhorting Timothy to do in his ministry. In meekness, instructing those who oppose themselves. They needed to be instructed so that they might be brought to that place of not only having heard the word, but having received the word and acknowledging it as truth. You may bring the two verses together. To the acknowledging of the truth and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. It is of the utmost importance that the truth of Christ and Him crucified is received. That the sinner by nature is instructed in the message of the gospel, which is able to save their souls. And that instruction of these truths must be carried home to the heart by the power of God's Spirit. If that imprisoned soul is ever to be liberated, is ever to be set free from the bondage of the devil, that's why it is futile to bring some story of man's making so as to tickle your ears and to send my congregation out home happy. I'm not interested in imparting some social message. 
You know why? For the eternal well-being of your soul, men and women, young people, child, that's what is at stake here. And the word of God reminds me that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's the power of God, the gospel, not the preacher, but the word of God that is likened to that sharp two-edged sword. The instruction that you need to hear and you need to receive is of Christ. For he alone was to take on the devil. He alone was to engage in the greatest battle at the place called Calvary. He alone was to conquer this great enemy. And that is why he came from the realms of the glory. John records it. First John 3 in the words of verse 8 says this. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. The means which God uses to deliver souls from the power of Satan unto God is through the foolishness of preaching. Preaching the truth of Christ. I wonder will you receive the message of good news of the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ to your soul. If you are to be saved, if you are to be delivered, you must receive the truth in your heart. Romans 10 and 10 reminds us, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's a heart work. Then consider this power to deliver the prisoner is seen in the repentance of God. Verse 25 and meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. You see, repentance is not something that man can do of himself. Here's a verse that tells us it is from God. It's a gift of God. It's God that opens the eyes of the understanding. It's God by a spirit that works conviction in the mind and the heart and leads into all truth as it is in Christ Jesus. It's the power of God that induces men to repent of their errors, to confess their mistakes, and embrace the truth and own it for themselves. Though this is not certain that God will give repentance to such blasphemers of his gospel, Yet it is his will that all his chosen shall come to repentance and that some of all sorts should be saved and come to the acknowledgement of the truth. For he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and faith. And men and women, please understand that verse is in the context of, of the believer. You check that out. It's not speaking about the whole world. It's speaking about those whom God has chosen. A preacher cannot cause an anxious thought. And so our dependence is on God. We cannot be absolutely certain that the sinner will ever see their error and realize the, their imprisonment of the devil. We cannot certainly rely on any part of argument that we might have. We can hope and trust that God might show them their error. Enable them to see and embrace the truth. 
For that is the power of God that we desire to see manifest through the preaching of his word to your hearts. It's God that must do the work. It's God that causes that repentance to be wrought in the sinner's heart by the power of His Spirit. And the power of God is such that recovery can be experienced. You see the word recover there that's used in our text? It's nowhere else found in the Scriptures. It means, as we have said, to be restored again to soberness, to come to a right mind. Errors and heresies that the devil presents as the effect of intoxicating hearers. And they need to be regained. They need to be recovered. And Christ came on a recovery mission to recover those who had fallen through Adam's transgression and sin. And the soul having heard the word and the power of God, the Holy Spirit working upon them and causing them to repent of their sin and turn to the Savior is the soul that experiences the snare being, being broken and a glorious escape from the old devil. We have uh, I've made reference already to the snares in our land. That came home very personally to us but we had an Alsatian dog and but all of us went across the far fields to, with my father when the cows in the morning, one morning didn't come back. My father went back over again and there he was just sitting. He was a very smart dog. His hind leg was caught in one of those snares. He knew not to wrestle against, didn't even break it. But there had to be my father's hands go in those snares to pull him out. Let the leg free that he might go. And men and women, so it is spiritually. It's the soul that experiences the snare been broken, and there's a glorious escape through the power of Christ. Good works cannot cause that escape. Church attendance is not mentioned. It's only the power of God through the instruction of His Word that can set man gloriously free from the snare of the devil. How we need to see such days of God's power again in our church and in our land where precious souls will be recovered from nature's darkness. I trust that you'll be that prisoner of war tonight released from your captivity by the power of the gospel. I can't do it. I've said to you, a church attendance will not do it. It's only through the power of Christ and the gospel. What about the purpose in salvation? You see, no sooner does the light of God's truth break in upon the soul that the darkness of Satan, that the captive is held in, is then dispelled. Satan is conquered. The sinner is delivered. The incursion and the raid of the gospel into the enemy camp is the greatest deliverance known to man. But there's a purpose in it all. And that is brought out by the closing words in our text tonight. Although admittedly they're the most difficult to understand. And that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. The purpose is seen to be sovereign where God is concerned. The difficulty that many have found is in who the hymn 
and his referred to. Who is the identity of these? And while some deny that there are two different words in the original refer to the one and the same person, while others believe they refer to Satan, I believe that both assertions to be wrong. There are times when two words are although different can refer to the same person. No rules of the grammar in Greek would be violated in doing that. And furthermore, when we take these words to refer to one person, not Satan, but God, then we see that he's sovereign. We are taken captive by him at his will. That's God. That means that those in view are people released from the captivity of the devil to be embraced by another one. But how different is the embrace of Christ in salvation? The actual word that is used, taken captive, is only employed one other time in the New Testament. You'll find it in Luke chapter 5 verse 10. And there it was the time where the Lord came upon the disciples who were fishing. Told them to cast down the nets on the other side. Peter, he remonstrates. But he comes to understand he's wrong. And you see what the Lord says in verse 10. And so also... And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. It literally means to catch alive. The Savior chose his disciples for a purpose. It was no longer to catch fish unto destruction. It was to catch men for life. Satan's purpose is to ensnare for destruction. But Christ captures men for eternal life. I wonder which is it for you this evening? The purpose implied within these words is one of service. The souls whom God has sovereignly delivered from the snare of the devil are changed. They're transformed from the power of Satan unto God. And in contrast to their former captivity, their new allegiance is to serve in the doing of His will. That's your purpose, child of God. To do the will of God in your life. That's why God has delivered and saved you from the snare of the devil from the chains of sin that bound you in the service of your heavenly master you will prove what is that good and that acceptable and that perfect will of God that's why the Lord has saved you you want to see it illustrated come back into the Old Testament with me to 1 Samuel chapter 30 as you turn back to it, I'll give you the background. David comes. He comes to a city of Ziklag. 
He sees it raised to the ground. It's burned to the ground. All the wives, all the children are taken by the enemy. His own men are ready to stone him. He calls for the ephod. The high priest wore that ephod garment when he went to prayer. And David goes to prayer and he encourages himself in the Lord. And he seeks the Lord's directions what to do. And the Lord tells him to go. And thou shalt surely overtake them and without fail recover all. What a promise. Verse 8. And on the way to recovering the wives, the children and all concerned, he comes across this young man. He happens to be an Egyptian. He tells the story that he had fallen sick and his master just left him. He said, I'm a young man of Egypt, verse 13, servant to an Amalekite, and my master left me because three days ago I fell sick. Dear sinner, that's what the devil does to you. He doesn't care. He just leaves you. Go to a lost eternity. Remember the context. He's going after those who have burned the city, have taken his wives and children. David doesn't know whether they're living or dead. He comes across this man. This man admits that he is one of them. Verse 14, we made an invasion upon the south of the Carathites, upon the coast which belongeth to Judah, upon the south of Caleb. And we burned Ziklag with fire. We burned Ziklag with fire. David could have took him there, there and then, and he could have justifiably put him to death. But he doesn't. Instead, he had a desire that he might guide him, that he might serve him. And so he says to him, in the words of verse 15, he said, Canst thou bring me down to this company? He fed him, he gave him water, he looked after him, and he now says to him, Can you bring me? Your old masters. I want you to notice what the servant says at the end of that verse. He said, Swear unto me by God that I will neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master and I will bring thee down to this company. Men and women, there's the illustration. He had no desire to serve his old master again. Swear me by me, that you'll not deliver me to my old master. What about you, dear child of God? Is your service solely for God? You cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. The purpose wherein God has served, saved you, is to serve the King of Kings. David, of course, went forth by the help of this Egyptian servant who had helped. And God did fulfill his promise. He recovered all without fail. The note that the purpose of God is a challenge to every saint. All too often we consider our service as a light thing. Not thinking of the absolute privilege it is to watch for the souls of men that we might be the means of delivering them from the snares of Satan. 
See, it's Spurgeon he used the illustration of this, of the heron, to describe this. He says, the heron stands in the water still and motionless, as if they were stuffed birds. They will stand there hour after hour, never seeming to move, until a fish goes by and down goes that terrible bill. The fish is captured, and the heron becomes as motionless as before. He says, if a bird can continue to watch for a little fish, then we who are fishers of men ought to be willing to watch long for souls, if by any means we may save them. Dear child of God, are we watching for souls? With long patience, with meekness, with gentleness, because there are many that are ensnared by the devil tonight. And I don't recognize it. The purpose of God enabling us to escape and have taken us into his embrace was that we should be devoted to the doing of his will. That is to see his kingdom extend. May God be pleased to help us, even in this great work. And if you are that captive tonight, described by this verse, then will you not come nigh? Seek the Lord while you may be found. Know what it is to be delivered for time and for eternity. May the Lord bless His word to our hearts this evening. For his own name's sake.